the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, January 12th, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 314 and 315. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree to take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first of our two big Friday editions of the show today. I'm Ron. Noah's here. Yo. We've got an absolute great slate of guests coming in. We've got the official spokeswoman for President Trump, Liz Harrington, will be joining us. Former acting ICE director Tom Holman will be here as well. Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany will be circling back. We'll be sitting down with Miss Kingsley Wilson and have a stay exclusive with Dr. Ben Carson. Lots of breaking news. The Trump trials continue to rage on. We'll get you caught up on all of the president's legal issues. The budget battle is heating up on Capitol Hill, and we'll analyze the latest. The debate over border security, or lack thereof, we'll talk about it. And we'll do a complete recap of the Donald Trump Fox News town hall. But before we get into any of our headlines, let's take it over to Iowa and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron. Noah's here as well. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started... On our first of two big Friday editions of the show today, she's the official spokeswoman for the 45th president of the United States, Mr. Donald John Trump. Miss Liz Harrington is back joining us and getting the show rolling. Liz, how you doing? Hey, I'm great, guys. How are you? We are a lot better because we know in less than three days we're going to be able to hang our first official W of the campaign season. Liz, I'm sure you have to be excited at that much to say the very least because it has been a long and winding road since that November 2022 announcement for re-election here for Donald Trump. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, he's been working so hard, the entire team, and the people are just incredible. And he's he just can't wait. I mean, the people of Iowa have been great to President Trump, and he he loves them so much. And so we're really excited to, you know, get, get this nomination. You know, really, it hasn't been a close race. The media is going to try to you know, do whatever they can to act as if this is a competitive primary, but it's just not. And I think the people will all see that uh, when they caucus on Monday. No, absolutely. I I do think we have to take the opportunity, especially since it is our big Friday edition of the show today, to take one more dunk on Ron DeSantis before he's out of (laughs) the race. Listen, we've seen a lot of bad political campaigns over the years. You know, you could, everyone from, from Ted Cruz to, you know, you name it. And, and this is just redefined and become the gold standard of how not to run a race, whether it's how many hundreds of millions of dollars you've wasted to the fact that when you realize that you're just not resonating with the people, you should probably want to back out and consolidate behind the clear and present front runner. And that's President Trump. Liz, you've seen this thing. Obviously, you've worked very closely to the to the campaign and how everything's just kind of shook out. When, when you see the implosion and, and even worse words that you could use for it, I mean, what is it, wounded bird falling from the sky like a faster than a stone? <laughs> what can you say about Ron DeSantis' campaign as we're getting ready probably to say goodbye to him in a couple weeks? 
Well, everything you just said, I mean, look, this has never been a strong campaign. They launched and it was a disaster on Twitter. Uh, The guy has no personality, as President Trump has been pointing out for some time. And that's kind of a problem when you're trying to represent all of the people. I mean, he can't do it. And, you know, he's just exposed himself as just another slimy career politician. It's so unbecoming. And I just saw a clip out there uh, of him in Iowa, you know, running as if in a completely different reality. And he's so bitter. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I guess he should be because, right, I mean, they had hundreds of millions of dollars to light on fire He's gone nowhere because you can't sell a bad product and he's got he's really got nothing uh, going for him. And now all he's doing is just trying to damage our nominee, our our front runner. So it's just it's just pathetic. I think it's sad. And, you know, if you had any self-respect, I think he would have gotten out of the race a long time ago and he should have never even gotten in. But now he's ruined his entire political future of what he thought he had one. And it's just people have seen him for who he really is. And honestly, that's kind of doing us all a favor though, because a lot of people would have thought he was, you know, the MAGA ascendant, right. For, for the future, but it's clear he was never that. Liz, I want to ask your opinion on something. You give us whatever answer you, you feel is appropriate. I don't, I don't think it's too far out of the parameters of stuff you might be asked before, but it is looking down the road a piece. When you, when you mentioned the heir apparent to MAGA, do you think that uh, a majority of that weight should fall on the, the shoulders of President Trump? Because we don't necessarily think it does. I mean, Donald Trump presented himself as the America First candidate, as the true outsider who is going to make our voices heard once again. Do you think over the course of, of his second term in office, it, it, a lot of that responsibility falls on not only the people who are going to be loyal to him, but the actual movement to kind of lift this person up and, and as they you know support President Trump in his endeavors during his next term as someone that could potentially take on the mantle without even naming names, just figuratively how you know that person would kind of present himself because when you talk about some of the people in this race right here, obviously it's never going to be Ron DeSantis, but I even see some people kind of, you know, tie their wagon to people like Vivek Ramaswamy. And although he's been able to say some nice things about President Trump and and kind of run as a true outsider who's looking to expose some things out on the campaign trail, I mean, the guy is, uh, you know, kind of come out of nowhere and we haven't heard from him for more than five minutes. I don't think a lot of people should necessarily be hitching their wagons 100% to him. But just as far as like moving forward, do you, do you think that responsibility falls on the movement to help produce who would be the obvious, you know, successor to pick up the mantle for MAGA moving forward? Well, it's an interesting question, right? And I think the people are kind of going to demand it. I mean, and like you've, you kind of just said, the only people that get any sort of traction now are people who try to emulate President Trump, but not just, you know, the way they talk or the positions they claim to uh, support, but it's people who actually believe in the policies, actually believe in the country. That's what the MAGA movement's about. That's what President Trump is about. It's about common sense. It's really not about party. It's about saving this country. And I think it is going to be outsiders who, like President Trump says, it's outsiders who change the world. And the people are really going to demand it. They're going to demand authenticity, someone who's real. They're not going to go back to these people who've, who just just get in to get the job, right, just to be an elected official and 
don't really believe in anything. We, we're so tired of that. We, they've been exposed. So I think, you know, over the next several years, but first we've got a job to do, right? We got we to save the country first. But I think in the future, those people will uh, really present themselves and we'll see who was loyal. But it's not about just loyal to President Trump. It's about loyalty to the country. Sure. And that's what it's about. So I think those people will will rise to the surface and we'll see uh, who's who. But yeah, I, this movement is not going anywhere. Uh, the people are demanding uh, accountability. They're demanding that we save our country and, and President Trump's not going to stop. And I know there's so many great people that have gotten into politics who never would have thought about it before uh, because of what President Trump's done and because of the reaction against him to try to push back against this destruction of our country. Sure. No, that's that, I think that's a great answer, and I, and I think you're right. But, I mean, a lot of people have to remember, there's like at least five years before the next election cycle, and just during that time, you would not only have to present yourself and, and, and be, you know, true MAGA, you'd have to not be able to mess up. And that's the thing about Donald Trump. He is so genuine, and he is yeah. so true. He, he doesn't have to mess up. He says what he says, he means what he says, and he just does what he does. It's like th there's no mystery about Donald Trump to the kind of person he is, the kind of heart he has. And for a lot of people, I would say 99.9% .9 of the ones in this world today, it's hard to go over the course of several years and let's just say it, not mess up, you know? So it's one of those things where it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But like you said, there's a, a big task at hand. Liz, do you like some of the names that are being floated around as potential VP candidates? You don't have to, you know, say that you think that anybody should be. Obviously, we're not looking to break news here on Save for Breakfast today, but everyone from like Governor Christy Nome to Dr. Ben Carson, who's going to be joining us a little bit later in today's episode. Uh, obviously, I've heard names like Lee Zeldin, Lee Stefanik. It seems like that's people who are extremely MAGA adjacent, people who have been extremely supportive of Donald Trump, both when he was in office and throughout the course of everything he's gone through over the last couple of years up through this reelection campaign. And, uh, it seems like when Donald Trump, uh, who said the other night in the CNN town hall that he already knows who he wants to be as vice president, it seems like the bench and MAGA side, as far as like being the you know other side of the ticket for him moving forward, there's there's a pretty deep bench of great people to pick from. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there are a lot of great choices to make, and of course, that choice is ultimately only President Trump's. And I think he's he's learned a lot too about. Uh, you know, who to trust in Washington and who you can't. And that's been a great benefit. Not, there's not many, right? There's not many to what happened in 2020 and what they did. But uh, he's learned so much of, of who is who and who will be there. And so I think he's going to make a great pick. Uh, you know, in the past, you had a Mike Pence who, you know, a lot of people really liked and respected and thought he was going to be great and, you know, thought he did a great job. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute, maybe he wasn't really working on our side right. this whole time. And so the one benefit to that is we, we've seen that we've seen the true colors show. So uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. I think it's going to be a really strong ticket. Um, but there's, again, there's no substitute for the top of the ticket. I mean, Correct. and you mentioned the town hall the other night. I mean, come on, these other, <laughs> these other losers, like, what are you doing? You think you can, uh, top that, uh, be better than that? No way. In what planet? I mean, this guy, the way he connects with the people, the love he has for the country, he is a once in a lifetime 
generational leader and that this country so desperately needs. We're so blessed to have him uh, taking all this sacrifice and still running after, you know, all they've tried to do to him and his family. It's just disgusting. But he does it with such ease, with such confidence as well. And it it just just go back if you miss the town hall and and watch some clips of his interactions with all the voters, because it's just you're watching something really special. And this idea that you can just spend hundreds of millions of dollars and pay people to door knock for you and something's going to materialize. No, it's not going to happen. No, it certainly isn't. And and that once in a lifetime generational political icon that Donald Trump is, his connection with the people is something that it can never be made again. I, I just don't see it. You know, there, there, there's always been presidents who have had certain levels of charisma, you know, even like the creepy ones like Bill Clinton, but like Ronald Reagan <laughs> and things like that. You know, Richard Nixon, the way he was kind of a jokester with all the people, people really liked his lightheartedness when he was out in public. But just Donald Trump brings a complete package to the table. It's like nothing that I've ever seen in my life. Been a little bit of a historian myself, nothing I've been able to see up until this point. And moving forward, I think we're going to be, you know, sad after a second term in office, but if all we can do is save the country, then I think we'll be a lot better off for it. Liz, last thing I wanted to ask you, you know, we've seen Donald Trump uh, in and out of court between there and Iowa over the course of the last few weeks. Obviously, this this Manhattan thing, the fraud case is falling apart. The narrative is falling apart. The ruling from the appellate court is helping it fall apart. You know, now we're seeing all these things come out that shows that Letitia James essentially collaborated with the White House moving up to and through when they charged Donald Trump. Same thing down in Georgia. You know, Fannie Willis, same thing. She breaks up a family with her boyfriend, then she gives her boyfriend three quarters of a million dollars. He goes and, and jumps on this case against Donald Trump in, in a in a type of case, a prosecution that he's never worked before in his life. Meanwhile, they're going down to the Caribbean, down to Miami, out to Napa Valley, taking vacations, and she's getting paid with the money that she paid him after she broke up the, his marriage <laughs> Listen, and then the whole time you have Fannie Willis going and, and meeting with the White House, too, so much so that her boyfriend was going up there and, and he was so over his head in this case, he's charging the White House for official time. You know, when you see the lawfare and the unfortunate part is, and, and we're going to explain this to our listenership as we're going to do some coverage on this next, is that unfortunately Donald Trump's going to continue to have to pay out of pocket to go through this stuff. But when you just look at how the narrative is crumbling, it seems like at the end of some of these cases, whether or not it goes to like just the district appeal or all the way up to the Supreme Court, it seems like there's enough evidence to see that this is actually a sham, a hoax, and a witch hunt, and Donald Trump will be vindicated in the end. Absolutely, and he, he's always been vindicated. You know, the truth always comes to the surface, and it's coming out again and again. I mean, can you imagine? These people are such frauds. It's so disgusting and disturbing. I mean, and they're so, I mean, pathetically stupid. I mean, you literally build Georgia taxpayers for your collusion with the, for your lawfare with the White House. I mean, are you out of your mind? But they put it, I mean, they think that they can just talk about above the law, right? No one's above the law. Look at this. I mean, they think they are. That's how they operate. I mean, to indict uh, the leading candidate for president for his tweets. I mean, that's what they did. I mean, the whole thing, that case is a complete joke. They all are. The civil uh, suit that President Trump has had to deal with, they're trying to confiscate his business empire. You know, the only nice things about New York City these days is the Trump organization. (laughs) I mean, they're destroying the city, and yet they're trying to— 
confiscate his properties and and take away his right to have a business there. I mean, it's it's so obscene. The judge is just absolutely vile. He he's just operating on hatred. The entire family is. It's yeah. so disturbing. And yet we we have to get these overturned. I mean, they're just it's totally lawless. And he's but he's showing up. You know, he's so busy on the campaign trail. He's doing a million things, and then he's got to show up. Uh, to meet these people in court, but it's good that he does show up because it sends a very powerful message. It's important to get the truth out. He had a great press conference in New York uh, yesterday at 40 Wall Street, laying out all the details and the facts. And the key point he said is, make no mistake, these are all connected. Every time you see me in court, whether where it is or, or who brought it, it's a Biden indictment. It is a Biden regime phony case against me because they've all been coordinating from the beginning. And now we have the White House visitor logs to prove it. It is so it is so telling because they know they can't actually beat President Trump. And that's what he said yesterday. They're trying to steal an election for a guy who can't put two sentences together they're trying to keep their corrupt power, and they know they can't beat President Trump at the ballot box fair and square. So that's why they're doing all this. But the amazing thing is the, tr- the truth is more powerful. The people are so smart, and they see right through all of this. Well, they certainly do. And again, if Donald Trump had anything to hide or felt an immense guilt in any <laughs> of these cases, he wouldn't be showing up to sit in the front row every other week to uh, right. and waiting for his turn to talk and defend himself. Well, Liz, this has been great getting the show kicked off with you today. Obviously, it's always a great time when you come on. We're going to wish you guys the best of luck and health moving forward and heading into the Iowa caucus on Monday. We're obviously going to be live linking the campaign in the show description today. But for anybody that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? True Social. I'm at Real Liz USA. Absolutely fantastic. As is always when we get to sit down with the official spokesperson for President Trump, Ms. Liz Harrington. Thanks for joining us today and have a fantastic weekend. Thanks so much. 20 Minutes is actually one of the properties that former President Trump, his adult sons, and several Trump Organization executives are accused of overvaluing to receive favorable bank loans. And we've talked a lot in the past day and this morning about the back and forth between Trump's lawyers and Justice Arthur Engeron when Trump wanted to speak in his own defense uh, for part of the closing arguments. And we thought that he wasn't going to be able to. And then that changed at the last minute. Trump lawyer Chris Kyes uh, asked the judge if Trump could speak. Uh, the judge asked Kyes, or asked, asked Trump, pardon me, uh, if he would follow the restrictions set in place. Trump didn't answer that question, but instead uh, immediately started speaking in his own defense, saying that he is the victim of fraud, uh, that he should be paid damages because of that. He called this a political persecution. At one point while he was speaking, the judge said that he had a one-minute warning, and Trump said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially, you know, can you listen for more than one minute? He said, this is a direct quote. Uh, When you say don't go outside of these things, talking about the restrictions, Trump said, I'm an innocent man, persecuted. I have to go outside the bans. Uh, So again, we did unexpectedly hear from former President Trump during those closing arguments. We've heard from him several times going in and out of the courtroom today, and we're expecting to hear more coming up in this news conference at 2.30. We'll send it back to you. All right, jumping into the news portion of our show today, the first of two Big Friday editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron Noah, still here. Yo. Opening up the show with Liz Harrington with a, I guess, legal and then Iowa caucus update. 
This will be our last official two shows before the Iowa caucus sees on Monday. And I know Noah's excited about that. I love me a good caucus. And who doesn't? <laughs> Temperatures expect to range from negative 14 to negative 22 degrees. They're, have, they're having one of those winter vortexes over there or whatever they call it. They're having a winter wonderland. Or as most people that live in the, I guess, corn state, like to, the Hawkeye state, like to say they're just having a normal winter. Mm. We're going to see the difference between a lot of these pretender candidates down in the fake multiverse primary versus Donald Trump in an actual head-to-head matchup where I feel weather's not going to play as much into Donald Trump's numbers as it might for some of his, I'm air quoting now, opponents. What do you think, Noah? Well, the weather? I mean, God forbid Ron DeSantis's frozen eggs don't really, you know, <laughs> kick off. Not the egg on a stick. <laughs> egg sickles? Oh, for as much as an update as Liz Harrington gave us, we are going to touch on some of the other recent developments in, in Donald Trump's legal cases, starting with the Manhattan one, obviously, yesterday. This is the, I'm rolling my eyes very hardly, fraud case into his property values, etc., things that he did with loans. I'm not a legal expert. We're going to try and do it the best we can here. But, you know, I saw on CNN this morning, it was actually pretty interesting, uh, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, in the business real estate development mogul world was on CNN and was kind of pushing back on, you know, some of the narrative they were trying to lay out as far as Donald Trump being a criminal that deserves to go to jail for saying that like, you know, some of his high rise office buildings had 30 feet more than there might've actually been. Therefore the the value is increased. This is all pretty normal. Well, you know, men always add 30 feet. Yeah. And, and and when they started talking about the Letitia James case and they were waiting for him to absolutely park the beach ball, they lobbed at (laughs) He pushed back very hard and said, you know, and this is again from, from Kevin O'Leary, every single real estate developer everywhere on earth does this. Who lost money? Nobody, nobody was hurting this. If you're going to sue the case and win, you got to sue now every real estate developer everywhere in America. So I don't think this thing will even survive appeals. And to be honest with you, this case doesn't even make sense. And I think that's the there there. The the targeted lawfare that's been used against Donald Trump is ones like we've never seen before here in the United States. We've seen it in other countries. It's getting ridiculous too because now like normal people are like, yeah, you know, I didn't really like the guy that much, but this is a little fucked up. Yeah, Donald Trump refers to him as places like the third world and banana republics. Man, I wish that banana Republican thing would have took. And then even like with Donald Trump being able to speak in his own defense yesterday, remember this is a non-jury trial because there's no victims here. They're just trying to civilly sue Donald Trump and dissolve the Trump name in the state of New York. That's the there there that they want to accomplish. They want to tear down Trump Tower. Noah's least favorite Transformer, Judge Engeron. (laughs) Engeron. You know, told Donald Trump, all right, all right, all right, we'll let him talk. But he's got to stay within the parameters of the rule, which I don't even know are. I, I, I'm pretty sure he probably said, you can't talk stuff about Letitia James. Don't call her peekaboo, even though she sends her boobs around on Snapchat. Does she? Don't. Yeah, don't say this is... A, they're America last milkers. Ugh. Yeah, they're like Nancy's Pelosi's, just a little bit darker. Like uh, tea saucers? Don't call it a sham hoax or witch hunt. And then Donald Trump went and did his thing. He said, this is persecution. Uh, I mean, everyone can see it. The banks see it, people that have weighed in on this, that are experts in the field have seen it in, in, in the real estate world. And, and and what else do you want here? He's not getting a fair shake. 
following, and again, Donald Trump spoke to the press before he went into the courtroom during the lunchtime break, but afterwards had a prepared statement. We are first going to start off with Trump attorney, great friend of the show, Steak for Breakfast enjoyer Alina Haba, who spoke before the 45th president following the hearing. Let's hear it. Let's remember that before I walked into court, we had already lost. That was clear with his motion for summary judgment. Before witnesses, before experts, and do I think any of it mattered? I certainly hope so. But for anybody that was in the courtroom for the last 11 weeks, you heard that there was not one fact against President Trump. There was not one piece of paper that showed anyone committed fraud. And don't forget that Section 6312, a consumer fraud statute, has been wrongfully used against my client, innocent defendants, the organization, and every employee of the Trump Organization, which has single-handedly changed the New York skyline, including the building we are in today. These are special properties. Real estate is an art, not a science. I like that. But you know what else is an art? You know what else isn't a science? Hunter Biden pictures? Political motivated <laughs> individuals. She's using this mm. to paint a canvas that Donald Trump is a fraudster because they can't beat him in the polls. They can't beat him in the polls, so she ran on Trump because that was the only way she could win. And now today, after 11 weeks, after three years, we have concluded that he indeed committed no wrong. The Trump Organization committed no wrong, and the kids have been dragged in just like the other defendants, and it is wrong. America needs to step up, and there's only one person who can do that, my client, Donald Trump. President Trump. And before we jump in to hearing Donald Trump, you know, there's just a little bit to lay out. She does make some pretty good points. She's a firebrand as well. I wouldn't want to be in her wrong side. I, I saw that she posted this video or a clip of it on Instagram yesterday. I, of course fire emoji did and she just wrote back i'm exhausted so yeah. they've done a lot of traveling you got to remember you know they started the week down in mar-a-lago uh to start the beginning of the week when they have four events in iowa then it was out to manhattan for a couple days now they're going back to iowa and they're going to be there working their asses off all weekend it seems like the avengers have assembled there you've got christy Noem, eric trump i think don jr's on the ground now of course dr ben carson who we'll be hearing from in just a bit Ooh. and you know, when you when you look at the situation as went down, I think one of the big there there's, and we talked about how lawfare is used against these people, doesn't necessarily work with Donald Trump because of the amount of money he's worth, but that's neither here nor there. 11 weeks in a trial this big, that's got to be pretty costly. And I'm not talking about the amount of McDonald's and Chick-fil-A I've seen being walked into, you know, the Trump side of the legal team during their lunch breaks. They are really big bags of fast food, but I'm just talking about Air travel alone from Mar-a-Lago. How many times has he been in court? A dozen? You know, yeah, and does he, like, go home at the end of the night if there's, like, a two-dayer? They always go home. Well, no, he'll he'll stay in Trump Tower, but they, they pretty much always, uh, you know, stay the night when, when there's multiple days going on. But still, they, they always try to make it back down to Mar-a-Lago because, no, we're three days away from the Iowa caucus. You don't think there's work that needs to be done on the ground? It's it's ridiculous the way that these things are setting themselves up to fail, but the way that they're trying to abuse President Trump, it's like nothing we've seen before. He's really frustrated, and I think that uh, you saw a little bit of that yesterday. But, you know, he he brought some of the fire he, he let the judge have and, and the people that are trying to prosecute him in the courtroom here and, and continued on so. Uh, when he gave his prepared statement following the hearing. Let's check out Donald Trump right now. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, we've gone through years with uh, this person. Uh, she's a political hack, the Attorney General. <laughs> uh, the judge is obviously extremely friendly with the group. And we'll see uh, what happens. I think maybe he uh, may surprise people on a positive side. We'll have to see what happens exactly. But uh, we've proven this case so conclusively. Uh, we've asked for directed verdict many times. Uh, they don't have any facts. They don't have any evidence against us. Millions and millions of pages, years of litigation, and all politically motivated. She campaigned on a I will get Trump. If you've ever seen any of the uh, seen any of her clips, they're horrible clips, actually. The anger. She's got serious Trump derangement syndrome. There's no question about <laughs> Letitia James, the corrupt attorney general of New York. So we've proven our case. There's not one witness against us other than one person who is a, a deranged. He's got a lot of problems. He's a man who's uh, been convicted of lying. He's a felon, convicted felon, and uh, about Mr. not a good person. But that's their only witness, and he's now crashed and burned. They have no witnesses. And by the way, that witness took back everything that he said. He took back everything he said in court, took it all back. So they have no case. It's a shame that a thing like this is able to happen. Uh, businesses leave New York. Uh, she went after Exxon, and they decided to move to Texas. And uh, hundreds of millions of dollars they pay in taxes. I paid over $300 million of taxes over the last number of years. $300 million. And uh, they don't recognize that. They don't recognize anything. So not think of it, not one witness millions of pages of document, years of this nonsense, and now it goes on. And one other factor, we won this case already in the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals voted in favor of us. But this judge has been very, very slow to accept that opinion because that's not the opinion that he wants. But we won in the Court of Appeals. That's the boss of this judge. He has to know that. And it was a conclusive victory, statute of limitations and other things. And that case has already been won. So uh, that's the story. And I thought we'd come down to 40 Wall Street, which is a great building. And you'd get a chance to see one of the nicest buildings in New York. <laughs> and, and he would go to kind of lead out there. It was pretty interesting. There were some supporters that were there, I guess, with the press. And when he and Alina Haba, whoever else was with him, I believe Eric Trump was with him as well, to be honest. I think he went with him from Iowa to Manhattan. They went around the corner, and the people that were there in support of President Trump started cheering and clapping. Nice. And he came out, gave a couple of fist pumps, and said, like, you know, we're going to win and, and the things that he normally does. But we're going to hear in just a minute, it was not a good week for the people that are trying to make Donald Trump's legal life very difficult. Uh, there was a really good segment on Jesse Waters yesterday that kind of walked us through several of the cases. And we've just heard how this one's kind of fallen apart. Remember, they tried to take as many properties tax filings, and public statements on Donald Trump's monetary worth, throw everything at the wall and see what would stick. There was an appellate judge that already knocked off some of these things like Donald Trump alluded to, that the taxes were filed on time and in a proper manner, that some of the properties that the value was estimated at had fallen off of the statute of limitations per last reported. And, you know, it narrowed it down to a couple different entities. But at the end of the day, when you're looking at how the appellate judge already ruled. He's like, mm, this is kind of yeah. a big stretch there. So, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. That means you follow the show, hit the plus sign, hit the follow button. It really helps us out in so many different ways here on Steak for Breakfast. Massages the algorithms, 
brings us up in the suggestions for political podcasts and, of course, that Apple Top 100, which we seem to be slowly but surely moving up into over the course of the last few months. Really appreciate that. Our listenership continues to expand, and your voice continues to be amplified here on the show. In addition, on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Stake for Reference accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything we're putting out here on Steak for Breakfast. Everything from our Substack, which you could also subscribe to, all the way down to details about who's going to be on the show. Let's just say next week. Just want to remind everybody we're going to be sitting down with Dr. Ben Carson in a minute. But I do want to talk about kind of an overview of what's going on with all of these Trump legal cases. It does not seem to be working well for the deep state apparatus that's set up against Donald Trump right now because... Apparently, nobody could keep it in their pants anywhere. Weird. Did you hear about some of this stuff going on, Noah? I think I heard part of it. I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) Let's check out Jesse Waters and see what he had to say about it. Biden's campaign's called a lid because why campaign when you're arresting your rival? Donald Trump in court today facing a financial assassination attempt. The former president asked Judge Nudy to delay closing arguments so he could mourn the passing of Melania's mother. This is wild. Judge Nudy said no. Yep and barred him from making a closing argument. Seems totally fair. Trump's tormentor, New York Attorney General Letitia James, was all smiles. She brought a case that's never been tried in New York's 400-year history. No Mm. jury, no victim, and the defendant wasn't allowed to speak. I wonder where a case like this came from. You ready for this? It's a witch hunt in the truest sense of the word. It's election interference. And uh, it just came out. This was just... Right now, Letitia James visited Joe Biden in the White House numerous times during the Trump witch hunt. It's all a conspiracy to try and get Biden, who can't put two sentences together, trying to get him into (laughs) office. That just broke. The White House has now confirmed the prime time that Letitia James visited the White House not once, not twice, three times. Mm. Before she sued the president, while she was suing the president, and then once to see Kamala. But it's not just Letitia James in New York with the conspiracy with Biden. We're learning that District Attorney Fannie Willis in Georgia also visited the White House, partied with Kamala and others. And the week after, the giggly wicked, you know, the grand jury's wacky forewoman, recommended charges against Donald Trump. Giggly wicked. You know Fannie, the DA who appointed the man she was diddling to prosecute Trump. Lover boy had never tried a felony. Ever. So Fanny handed him almost a million dollars in taxpayer cash and said, go get him. Mm. And lover boy took the cash and then took Fanny on steamy Caribbean cruises. Into Napa Valley. Fanny's lover boy also conspiring with the White House, the holding Lurie. long meetings with the White House counsel, even billing them. And when Fanny wasn't getting sexual kickbacks Oof. and colluding with Biden's White House, Ugh. she had Adam Schiff on speed dial. Fannie was working with Adam Schiff in the January 6th case to build the Georgia prosecution. You remember the January 6th committee that banned Republicans from joining and then destroyed all the evidence they collected? Mm-hmm. It's almost as if Biden's running the Trump prosecutions from the White House. My legal issue. And we'll leave it there. Listen, it's not like this stuff is by chance. It's not like they saw each other at a coffee shop or they ran into each other at the mall or at one of their kids' soccer games. Well, it's just all the same money laundering that we're seeing, like fucking Hunter Biden selling art for millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's another thing. 
you know, we're going to talk about his legal problems a little bit later in the show. No, apparently, I guess about 80% of the people who have bought his art, number one, are no, Democrat donors and big time Democrat lawyers who all know and have relationships with Joe Biden. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's definitely going to have some value as pop culture, like a pop culture reference. Sure. So I could see, but initially when he was just a crackhead, what, what that wasn't in the, the social eye as much as he is now, that was 100% just bullshit money laundering. I do want to remind our listenership that this guy was literally blowing rails off the toilet at the white house on the 4th of July. <laughs> yeah. He looked a little gacked out that day. <laughs> But when you look at all of these cases, so now you have Fannie Willis. She sat in the courtroom like a fat slob yesterday, eating peanuts out of her purse with her shoes off, smiling with all of her friends. With her shoes off? Yeah, she had her heels off and her feet crossed. It was disgusting, and so is she. Watching Donald Trump not struggle, but just be under the light that he would prefer not to be in. Because this is a fucking piece of shit witch hunt. Colluded with the White House and the White House legal counsel... Three different times, once before the case was brought up, once during the charges were being put together, and then afterwards with a private meeting with Kamala Harris. Then you've got disgusting Fannie Willis down in in Atlanta. So anyway, she's got this boyfriend. First of all, she's well known for sleeping with a rat who copped a plea deal that was like in a big gang-related case that she did. So, so one of the guys who she was the lawyer for. She was thug life She was thug life hard. That guy's really into Fanny. Yeah. So, so that's that. Then she jumps over to this prosecutor who never worked a felony case in his entire life. Ever. And he gets a high profile one. He's married with kids. Ooh. They have an affair. She helps him through the divorce. He leaves his family high and dry. He gets appointed to this case and gets paid $700,000 to work the Donald Trump case. He then immediately starts going on all these trips to the Caribbean, to Miami, out to Napa Valley in California with Fannie Willis. So she essentially paid for her own vacations by rewarding her boyfriend with this case that he had no experience in, so much so that when he went to the White House on four different occasions to talk with their legal team, he charged them in an official context, therefore producing a receipt, something the White House at that point, like Jesse Waters alluded to there, could not deny and had to confirm happened. The receipts are already online. It just looks really bad. Mm. And you can never tell who's coming and going from any of these meetings. Is it just White House counsel? Is it senior staffers? Is Susan Rice there? Are there people from the Justice Department? You know, is Lisa Monaco coming over to the White House and meeting with these people? We all know how much she hates is Donald Trump. Is there baggies Trump. of cocaine? It's wild the way this stuff's going down. But listen, all of these things that are coming to light all work in Donald Trump's favor. The unfortunate thing is he's going to continue to have to go through the motions. He's going to continue to have to bring up these things in a legal sense. And he's going to continue to have to pay out of pocket for this bullshit so that's, that's kind of how the week, legal-wise, shaved up for Donald Trump. He did have a better week on the campaign trail. We're going to touch on that in our second all-new episode of the show today. And right now we're getting ready to jump in for our state-exclusive interview with Dr. Ben Carson. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. 
Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. Joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He served as the HUD director during the Trump administration. He also heads the American Cornerstone Institute. One of our great friends, Dr. Ben Carson. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be with you again. How's everything going with you? I'm sure you had a great Christmas and a happy new year. It's It's been a little bit since you joined us, but uh, we're excited to have you back. I'm always happy to be here with Patriots. <laughs> Feelings more than mutual, sir. Hey, that's us. Yeah, that is us. So we do want to continue on. We saw an article that came out, an interview that you did with Breitbart News not too long ago. It talked about the weaponization of the justice system and the attacks on Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, you, you really alluded to the point that this is opening up the doors to have future attacks on, on just about anybody in America. No one's safe from what's going on with the Justice Department right now. We saw Donald Trump, you know, up in Manhattan yesterday defending himself in, and I'm air quoting now, the fraud case in regard to his real estate dealings. But then when you look about how some of the narratives have changed in, in the Georgia case and, and the other ones that are going on against him this week, it seems like there's been a lot of collaboration between these state AGs or, or local officials and, and the Biden administration throughout the course of what they're doing to Donald Trump right now. And it seems to be setting a really bad precedent for where the justice system is in America right now. Well, it's pretty amazing what's going on in our country. But the encouraging thing is that the American people aren't falling for it. The more they persecute Donald Trump, the more people seem to be supporting him because American people are smart enough to realize that if they can do that to him, they'll do it to you, too. They'll do it to all of us. And our freedoms are slowly bleeding away as we move from a country that is of, by, and for the people to a country that's of, by, and for the government. And of course, that's the way all governments start. You know, we're good. We're going to take care of you people. We're going to be your best friends. And before long, mandating this and that and the other. And, uh, our founders were very concerned about that, and that's why they wrote the Constitution the way they did. Now, when you see the way that the Constitution's been trampled, especially in instances regarding President Trump, but then a lot of people in close proximity to him, you know, it's like when you use the lawfare against a billionaire, he's going to be obviously frustrated. And, and you know, the way Donald Trump makes himself present in all of these court cases is the fact that if he had anything to hide, he'd be doing just such. He's doing the exact opposite and trying to show everybody what's going on. But when you talk about lawyers, former administration officials, and just regular people that served in the government during the last Trump administration and, and how they've done the same thing to them, it seems like that trickle down effect is already starting to, you know, have a really big case for what the justice department looks like these days. And if we can't, rein this back in it's going to lead to i think more than a disaster the question i'm looking to ask you dr carson do you think this is something that could be changed in almost a swift manner or is this going to take like a generational shift to get the justice department back to where it needs to be i think we can make a lot of progress very quickly uh that's why they're so anxious to make sure that donald trump doesn't get back in 
because he's familiar with them and their tactics and he knows where the dead bodies are. And uh, they can't have him, so they will do anything, as you can see. There's, there's nothing beyond the scope of what they would be willing to do uh, in order to preclude him from becoming president again. So it's going to be an extraordinarily nasty campaign. Yeah, it's going to be wild, and it's just getting started. You know, I do want to segue a little bit, and I want to talk about how the media is kind of complicit in not only pushing these narratives, but supporting institutions like the Department of Justice, both at the state, local, and federal levels. In addition to that, you know, they're using these narratives to shift the way that kids are receiving an education now as they did just a few short decades ago. We're learning so much less about American history or or an accurate version of it now than we did. And I want to talk about, you know, a follow-up to that would be how important it is for Institute, like the Cornerstone uh, Center, to play in, in kind of combating this narrative and pushing back into the faces of American children how this country was founded and how important it is to not to be able to forget that because Listen, once we start teaching an alternative history and that becomes the way that kids and, and, and just our society views it now, you know, it's going to be really hard to get this country back on the right track. You're dead on there. And the fact of the matter is your history is what gives you your identity and your identity is the basis of your beliefs. So obviously, if you can change anything along that stream, uh, you make people very vulnerable very easy to lead, which is the reason whenever ISIS captures a place, the first thing they do is destroy the history, yep. uh, get rid of the libraries and the museums. And uh, we're allowing it to happen uh, without ISIS. And we need to be very, very vigilant. And American Cornerstone has the Little Patriot program for that very reason. We realize that our children are being indoctrinated. It was Vladimir Lenin who said, give me your children to teach for four years and the seed that I sow will never be uprooted. That's why they're so anxious to be in our schools and to be, you know, hitting our children with the 1619 Project and critical race theory and gender dysphoria and all kinds of craziness, uh, rather than teaching them the basics of the things that they need to be successful in our society. And we call our Little Patriots program the inoculation to indoctrination because that's what's going on. And we tell people the real history, what's behind the founding of this country, what our history is, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but there's a lot more good than there is bad and ugly. And uh, you wouldn't get that impression uh, from some of the students after they've been indoctrinated. And you see the results of that in our college campuses. Uh, young people who really have no idea what they're talking about, but they've been so indoctrinated to hate our country and to feel that we're at the root cause of all evil in the world, uh, that they become very easy prey for those who want to fundamentally change our nation. Well, Dr. Carson, what I want to ask you is, I think it's a really important follow-up to this. You know, you've worked in every sector there is to be, public, private, and within the federal government. You've seen how things have changed over the course of several decades throughout the course of all the service that you've provided for this country as well. What is it about the history of the United States, or, or do you think it's more of a control tactic here that, you know, from what our country was founded on and, and the great works that our Republic was founded all the way up through the growing pains that we went through over the course of so many decades. It, it, it's a feel good story that, you know, 
is why we've always been considered that shiny beacon up on the hill. But now people just want to erase that and turn us into like, you know, just another puzzle piece of the large globalist blob where everybody's the same. And, you know, there's a caste system and, and there's no more middle class. And, you know, the American dream is something that I see quickly dissolving away. If we can't, you know, get in, get grab the reins here and get this country back on the right track. I don't know if we could last maybe even another decade at this pace we're going at. Well, it does happen very quickly, and and we are standing in the way of the globalist, and and that's why there's so much uh, fire aimed at us right now. I was in Europe a few months ago, just listening to the Europeans uh, talk about America. They're very fearful uh, that we're going to go down the tubes. They said the Americans have lost their minds. And here we are with all this transgender stuff, uh, with open borders. Uh, not taking advantage of our rich energy resources. Uh, you know, our military endeavors are feeble. I mean, we have just turned into something else completely uh, opposite of what we used to be. And, uh, you know, not only are American con citizens concerned about it, but citizens all over the world are because they said, if you guys go down, what happens to us? Right. They are very concerned about what's happening to us on the global stage. And that's why we need the kind of leadership that will stand up to China, that will stand up to Russia, that will have the rest of the world respect us, that demands that NATO all pay their share. You know, the kinds of things that Donald Trump was doing, uh, as opposed to the ridiculous withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, you know, the bumbling of the Abraham Accords, which has led to all kinds of chaos in the Middle East. Uh, and it just goes on and on. When you don't have good leadership and you don't project strength, you invite trouble. Speaking of inviting trouble, Dr. Carson, the next thing I want to talk about with you and you know, there's going to be a perfect segue into it because we've got Big Tom Holman, the former acting ICE director during the Trump administration, joining us in our next edition of the show. It's what's going on down at the U.S. southern border. You know, you've seen the way uh, Donald Trump oversaw the most safest and secure border in the history of our country. A lot of people on the campaign trail right now are hitting him over the lack of deportations that happened during the Trump administration, but that's because due to his policies, like were made in Mexico, there were almost 4 million potential illegal migrants staged on the Mexican side of the border. We didn't have to necessarily deport them because they weren't allowed to come in until it was time for them to get processed and they get their asylum hearing. Now you've seen Joe Biden come in with all of the holdovers from the Obama administration, including Alejandro Mayorkas, who's done every single thing he can to erase the Trump doctrine when it comes to border security. He's failed to adhere to federal rulings in regards to, you know, complaints that were made by state and uh, other officials throughout the country where he'll just rewrite an administrative policy to skirt a judge's orders. And now he's suing places like Texas who essentially took over and, and reclaimed a part of their own state to enforce border security because of how bad it's gone. Now, I think one of the biggest things that goes hand in hand with the inaccurate telling of America's history is the loss of her sovereignty. And what we've seen down on the U.S. southern border over the course of the last three years is just that. Oh, there's no question. It's a, it's a, it's a crime what's going on down there. And I don't know if the current administration is just inept and completely unable to understand the implications of what they're doing? Or are they purposely trying to destroy our country? I don't know which one it is. 
but uh, the effect is the same. And I think even the Democrats are starting to get concerned, uh, recognizing that this has an impact on all the people in this country, not just the people who live in the border states. And there, there's no end in sight to it until we get another administration. And then it's going to be a while to try to reverse the impact of all of this that's been done. And then you've got to consider the fact that Hamas and other terrorist groups are coming in there too. Sure. They're people who hate the United States of America, and we have just opened the door to them and welcomed them into our country. And if they're not coming and planning something horrible, it's terrorist malpractice. No, it certainly is. I like where you went with that one. Dr. Carson, last thing I want to touch with you on, you know, you just got back from a big trip out in Iowa. We are finally, after a very long preseason, at the start of the 2024 primary race. Donald Trump will be hanging his first official win of the season on Monday down at the Iowa caucus. I do believe Donald Trump, when he says, regardless of what the polls say, they have campaigned like they are one point down for the entirety of since when he announced back in November of 2022, being on the ground out there, meeting with the people, it seems like Donald Trump has resonated a lot differently than any of the other candidates in the primary. Can you just give our listenership a little bit of insight of what that experience was like this week out there, meeting and greeting everyone and, and getting ready for the anticipation of the Iowa caucus? I had an opportunity to attend a, a number of events, and people are so enthusiastic and fired up. And they don't care if it's 40 below zero, they're coming out on caucus night. We talked about how important it is, you know, to make their voices heard, uh, not only in Iowa, but this needs to be done across the country. And I think you're going to see a groundswell. I think the, the primary season is going to be over with pretty quickly, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, this is not to say that the, the other people, you know, DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy are bad people. But this is a time where we need proven leadership. We can't take maybe good leadership. we got to have definitely good leadership to turn around what's going on right now. And also, people know that if we allow the justice system to be used to obliterate your political opponent, sure. America will never be the same again, no matter what happens. Well, you want to know what you talk about leadership, Dr. Carson, for all the great things we say about President Trump, we say the exact same thing about the work you did when you served in the last administration. This has been great catching up with you. We hope that you'll find some time again with us soon to join us on the show. We're obviously going to be live linking the American Cornerstone Institute in our show description today. If there's anybody that wants to continue to check you out, all the great work you're doing, or where you're heading next on social media, where can they find you? AmericanCornerstone.org and also LittlePatriotsLearning.com. Absolutely fantastic. As this segment has been sitting down with you, this is the former HUD director and the man who heads the American Cornerstone Institute. Dr. Ben Carson, thanks for joining us today. Have a fantastic weekend. You do the same. Thank you so much. House Republicans are the party of insurrection, impeachment, and illegitimate investigations. Nothing more, nothing less. Insurrection, impeachment, and illegitimate investigations. These extremists have made clear once again this week that they have no ideas, no agenda, no vision, and have made no progress on solving problems for everyday Americans. 
It's sad and it's shameful that extreme MAGA Republicans have turned the House of Representatives into a spectacle and a national embarrassment. Oh. And that was House Minority Leader mm. in title only, Hakeem Jeffries. Listen, they tried Binomics. You can't talk about making the world safer and having the adults be back in charge. Because as you probably know, Noah, did you see a, the third phase of the preamble of World War Three kicked off last night? Uh, yeah, the adults are in charge, all right. The adults that live in the trailer down by the river. <sighs> what a fucking disaster. You know, and, and you want to talk about how the Democrats have segued. It's to trans rights. It's to free Palestine. Remember, there is a there is a uh, jihad delegation in the House of Representatives now. It's a real thing, and those gals that are all in it all think it's funny. And you know, there's a uh, the demonization of seventy five plus million voters, probably more at this point. They actually call to, it the jihad delegation. Yeah, uh, yeah, like the jihad squad, or you know, some of the congressmen joked about it, and that they take it as like a term of endearment. Mm. And uh, you know, they're all pieces of shit, but th- this is the newest phase of the rollout of the Joe Biden re-election campaign. They're going to beat MAGA is the end of our republic until like both sides of the media and everyone in between is like, we get it. They're bad. What he's doing is, and you've seen it in so many good movies, like Donald Trump is turning into like Venom now. He's going to be <laughs> like the anti-hero who, you know, says funny things and is a little bit risque at times, but you just can't not love him. What's his catchphrase? Millions and millions? Yeah. Let me tell you something. My son, who's 10, every time Donald Trump says the word millions, like the way he says it, my son laughs. laughs. I I always give you the look, too. It's so hilarious. Billions and millions. But, you know, there has been a little bit of chaos returning back to Capitol Hill this week. And I just want to remind everybody, it's Friday out here on the West Coast. So the Senate took off yesterday at the end of the business day out to do whatever they need to do. Some of them might be stumping in Iowa. Some of them heading up to New Hampshire. And some just back to their states. And and the House of Representatives had a half day today. So by the time we kicked off the show here in the 9 o'clock hour on the West Coast, they put a cap on the week. And a lot of people don't realize that on January 19th, the first step in the latter CR expires. Therefore, we could be cruising towards a government shutdown. Mm. However... And we touched on it on our Tuesday show. Last weekend, Akeem Jeffries, Chuck Schumer, of course Mitch McConnell, because he's just as bad as all the rest of them, and the Biden White House were all celebrating the fact that apparently Mike Johnson was able to meet with these people and come up with a budget deal. It seemed like they had told Mike Johnson he'd be able to get some cuts from places like the IRS, a little bit of wasteful spending there. Let's pull back a couple $11 billion of... COVID money that we really don't need anymore or yet again there. And Mike Johnson's like, okay, you know, the, the proposed bill was like $1.77 trillion and uh, mine's going to be like 1.58. So everyone's not going to hate it. Should have used the 48 hour rule because guess what happened, Noah? What happened? Everybody on the Democrat side had to come out and remind Mike Johnson that Kevin McCarthy during his budget negotiations and before he was removed as speaker, made a whole bunch of these sweetheart deals that don't require a vote and are worth hundreds of billions of dollars factored into the budget, all for Democrats. Are those the ones that actually went into 
went into place or the ones that he's on the hook for still that he's shitting his pants over? Yeah, he's on the hook for these. Nice. Yeah. How, how are you going to recover from that? Well, apparently not never well. Gonna, never going to finish or recover from this. So after our Tuesday show, you know, I, I talked to a couple members of Congress. There, there are quite a few who we text with now, and it, it's good just to be it, – it's so good. I texted Corey Mills one sentence yesterday. I said, hey, did you see this crap? Within like 10 seconds, he calls me. He's like, let me step into my office so I can talk. He, the guy talked to me on the phone for like 20 minutes. Where else are you going to get that? And kind of laid out what was going on behind the scenes. You know, no secret details. But just kind of said like, in real time, this is what's going on. You're getting everything in the news like a day or 12 hours late. And, you know, when when you hear about some of the stuff that's going on with Mike Johnson, yes, it's concerning. But at the same time, we have to look at it in just a bigger context. Like, this is not Mike Johnson saying, like, I'm going to come in and make budget cuts. He gets presented with this budget. He thinks that there's some reductions in it, which is going to make some people happy. Obviously, not everyone is ever going to be happy, especially in this House of Representatives. It's the most dysfunctional in the history of our republic by a lot. Yeah. And, you know. Next thing you know, all of these uh, McCarthy promises start getting wove back in, and next it's back up to $1.77 trillion. So I saw Speaker Johnson talking about this. He was talking about the cuts. We're going to try and paint a picture, get you through the week here. I don't know if you saw also, Noah. Did you realize that they were filming a documentary on Wednesday morning up on Capitol Hill as well? Really? Mm-hmm. What was it for? It involved a man and his passion for art and possibly Skittles. Ugh. We're not going to get too far ahead of himself. Here's the Speaker of the House. Uh, you know, last year uh, there was a negotiation among uh, all the parties, and they came up with a spending agreement. $1.59 trillion was the amount that was written into the, the FRA, the, the statutory law. We know that's the spending limit. Now, there were some side deals negotiated on that uh, last summer. What I came into as Speaker was that situation, and so we went into the room and we significantly cut those side deals. In fact, we converted that into about $16 billion in real savings to the American taxpayers. So it's a step in the right direction. We've cut out the gimmicks out of that budget. We cut out uh, the spending. And, and Liz, it actually amounts to the first reduction in non-defense spending in many years. So this is a step forward. It's and it was, yeah. or, or it looked like one until it wasn't. And you'll never guess... But that pissed off the entirety of the House Freedom Caucus, ones who were kind of in the middle, like Matt Gates, new additions like Corey Mills and Eli Crane. And, you know, it goes all back to everything, everything from the budget down to the border. It seems like we can't get on the same page with everything. I jumped in, Crypto Lawyer and Nick Naughton's Trump Tuesday, someplace I, I frequent on Tuesday nights because I'm stuck watching my son's baseball practice. And I'm sitting in the parking lot in my car, so I just jump in there on Twitter. Matt Gates comes in. We let him up. I throw my hand up real quick. Everyone's talking about Matt Gates comes in and he's talking about how good Florida State's going to be next year because you know he's from Tallahassee. That's where the Florida State University is located at, and how they got jobbed out of the college football playoffs. And then it, it got to me, and I said, "Hey, Congressman Gates, it's Rome from Steak for Breakfast. Maybe you've heard of us." He's like, "I listen a lot more than I probably should." Come on, and I said, "You're forgiven." I'm probably going to bore everybody in the room and I'm getting ready for everyone to put up their thumbs down emojis, but I'm going to ask you, what's the latest on the negotiations with the budget? And everybody's like, oh God. And he's like, all right. <laughs> and the, the, even one of the hosts was like, here we go. Everybody's going to be jumping out of the room. They didn't though, because they wanted to hear what he had to say. It's, it's something that's on the mind of most Americans. I think that's the point there. And you know, is this audio or just like, just audio. Yeah. And uh, the way it looks is like when you jump into a Twitter space, there's like, Everybody's profile picture on top, they're the speakers. 
The top left corner is the host and the co-host. There could be up to three of them. Everyone else can get a microphone to be a speaker. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else in the thing, you see all their Twitter profile pictures, this is Bubbles. Yeah. And uh, they're listeners. And I tell you what, you know, during the speaker uh, negotiations, after Kevin McCarthy was vacated, you would have Donalds, Bobert, Santos, Gates. They would all, Corey Mills, they'd be jumping in all the time. Hmm. And it's honestly the only place I could talk to Matt Gates right now. So, Congressman, if you're listening, you might want to give Joel a little elbow because we've sent the emails. Hmm. Here's the deal. Speaker Johnson effectively told on Wednesday a group of House Republicans that the government can't shut down. This puts him in line with what Mitch McConnell wants and most other realistic Republicans and Democrats that they need a stopgap funding bill. And Johnson won't say that yet, though. He has four main options moving forward. He can CR everything to March. Smartest. This is an opinion here. He can CR the January 19 bills. He doesn't seem very interested in another short term. He can let the 19 bills expire. Therefore, initiating a government shutdown and treat February 2nd, the second step of the two-step laddered CR, as the actual deadline or total shutdown. There could be more options coming to present himself. I'm going to try and get you guys up to date on this the best we can as we run through this segment right now. But here's the thing. He's in a very bad situation. It doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. And the thing he needs to do now is figure out how he can get into this box. Because remember, and inside some of these meetings on Tuesday and Wednesday, Jim Jordan and, and Mike Johnson kind of went at it. Mike Johnson's like, a, he was literally telling people in the Republican conference, we don't need to go out and beat each other up on TV and beat each other up online. We need to figure this out. And apparently a lot of these guys didn't want to hear it. You know, they, they said, uh, even though Kevin McCarthy was the one that did it, Republicans should have never agreed to any side deal in items of in regards to spending. And, and Kevin McCarthy kind of handcuffed Mike Johnson to that, knew it, and now is probably laughing. Apparently he was at jury duty last week. Who knows what he's doing now? <laughs> probably weighing his options in regards to joining a lobby firm to stump against America First candidates in this upcoming election cycle and eventually against Donald Trump. But, you know, even some of the more common sense or senior congressmen like Ralph Norman, you know, he comes on the show all the time. We don't give him a hard time for being a Nikki Haley enjoyer because we all know at the end of the day he'll be voting for Donald Trump in November. Am I right? Am I right? Oh, yeah. But here's the thing. Even he's been frustrated by this and, and you know, is, is joining this delegation of the Gates. I believe they said there was as many as like 19 or 20 already. And, you know, the House GOP blocked... Uh, an adjustment of the rules disapproving of, you know, the Biden rules and a revolt against the spending deal that Speaker Johnson made with Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden. And, you know, according to Representative Victoria Sparks, who's also another great guest of the show, she said people here in conference have been seriously considering ousting the Speaker now. So now are we circling back to that? I certainly hope not. What do you think, Noah? Do you think that uh, even though Mike Johnson was dealt... A bad hand. This is currently his 79th day on the job. And they're in this thing right now where it looks like there's a possibility of maybe another CR or a government shutdown, but it doesn't look like there's going to be massive cuts, which is what the Republican House wanted in the beginning. However, that's not Mike Johnson's fault that a lot of this stuff was agreed to while Kevin McCarthy was the speaker. You would essentially have to rip it down to ground zero 
at that point, it is an omnibus or a government shutdown. It seems like there's a no-win situation for this guy here. Do you think he's earning the right to be vacated? I mean, <clears throat> you got you got to think that we don't want to go go through the, the vacate stuff again. But if he's not going to do what he was appointed to do, I, I I've always just been a little suspicious of it, just because they they were. They were ready to give us this guy, but not the guy that we actually wanted previously. It's weird that everybody voted for Mike Johnson, too. Yeah. Do you think there's anybody in the House of Representatives right now that everyone would vote for moving forward? I don't. No, but... Let, let, let me put it to you this way. It's never going to be Byron Donalds. It's never going to be Jim Jordan. It's never going to be anybody we like. It certainly won't ever be Matt Gates. Yeah, no. I think Matt, they'd probably burn the building down before they let Matt Gates do it. Right. The House Freedom Caucus said, essentially... And I'm paraphrasing now because I've seen commentary from Bob Good, who's going to be joining us in a couple weeks, Andy Biggs, who's going to be with us next week. Fix the budget, shut down the border, or shut down the government. Ralph Norman put out a statement yesterday after they broke conference, and we're getting ready to head into the long weekend ahead of the Iowa caucus. Mike Johnson is, after long conversations with some of the more hardliners in the Republican House, going to back out of his deal with Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden. It's not going to be the current deal that was reported last weekend that the White House and the Senate and the House Minority Leader were taking victory laps over. However, Norman did say there's going to be a continuing resolution, and this comes from a meeting that he had late last night with Speaker Johnson, Matt Gates. Corey Mills was there. I talked to Corey Mills directly after this meeting yesterday, and he kind of alluded to the same thing. I saw a clip of Rep. Andrew Clyde. They did go on the House floor and deliberate a little bit over this yesterday, and I thought it was pretty good. You know, he's been on the show a few times. We're hoping to have him back this month, if not definitely in February. But he was kind of laying into the budget deficit, the ridiculous spending. We're now over $34 trillion in debt, and we got to figure out a way to get through this. We're $34 trillion in debt, and every day it's getting worse. True story. I mean, how much is the interest at this point? An insurmountable amount. Well, what, what is it? The... The annual interest we're running is well over a trillion dollars a year. That's ridiculous. It sure is. Let's hear Rep. Clyde. It's no secret that the U.S. is steamrolling its way to fiscal ruin, rapidly barreling toward economic collapse yeah, and unfairly said. burdening future generations. Yet few here in Washington seem to notice this fiscal calamity, let alone care enough to fix it. Far too many have not only become numb to our ballooning national debt and out-of-control deficit, but completely addicted to spending money that we simply don't have. Yep. Yep. The U.S. national debt climbs higher every second, swelling at such an alarming rate that hitting a new trillion-dollar milestone has now become routine. In fact, in June, just seven months ago, the national debt reached $32 trillion. This figure surged to $33 trillion three months later in September. And just days ago, our national debt surpassed $34 trillion. Six another months, just three and a half trillion. months. Jeez. Amounting to roughly $100,000 for every American yep. for our constituents. Folks, racking up more than $2 trillion in national debt in just seven months' time is not a historic milestone. It's a historic failure. At this rate, we're adding roughly a trillion dollars to our national debt every 90 days. Think about that. A trillion dollars every 90 days setting us up to hit, if not exceed, $37 trillion by the end of the fiscal year. Unsustainable is an understatement. That's a word you use a lot, Noah. Yeah, it's we're fucking our 
future generations for decades and decades and decades. There's, there's just no way. It's like when you're, you get a little too wild on the credit card and then all of a sudden you're, and your, uh, your monthly payment is now your monthly payments, like $500 now. It's like, well, that's basically what we're doing. Yeah. We're are the interest on all this money is just going to compound annually. And it's just going to fuck everything up forever. In in 2023, we spent a little over $11,000 more than we did in 2019. My family, mm-hmm. when we look back at our finances, you know, getting all the tax stuff ready for this year, we added a few things here and there. You know, our kids grow up a little bit. They become a little bit more expensive to manage. But the amount of money in such a short period of time, it's like you said, and Rep. Clyde alluded to, it's unsustainable. Yeah. I can't, on my salary and my wife's current salary in 2026 – add another 11 or let's just say counting for inflation $15,000 to the 11 extra we're paying now back from 2019. Yeah, no thanks. No. <laughs> we're all going to have to get second jobs. We're going to be doing uh what is it called like uh Well, move- that's the whole that's the whole thing with Biden's jobs numbers. Mm. Oh, I've got all these new jobs. It's like, yeah, cuz I have two now. You I fuck. I don't know if you heard, but uh they had a decimal issue with the last one. There was oh, a yeah? lot less jobs created last quarter than reported, but once it's into the news cycle, it's the toothpaste you can't put back in the tube. Those pesky decimals. Matt Gates just put out a statement immediately and, and coming across the desk as we're here and now almost the 11 o'clock hour on Friday. I think Republicans should demand a closed border as part of the government funding debate. If yep. we don't and fund the government anyways, how do you think the people, more importantly our constituents, will react? Kind of leaves it open-ended. A lot of cuss words in the comments here, so I'm not gonna not gonna jump into it. But you know, you want to talk about this continuing resolution or the possibility thereof. I saw. Um, yeah, if they're not gonna sort out what's going on at the border, then shut it down. Let it, let it happen. Yep. But I don't see it happening. I think they're just gonna fold and go with another fucking omnibus. Russ vote, who's not available this month, so we'll be getting somebody else from the center. Even though it goes on more of them a lot. Mm. <laughs> Put out a statement yesterday. And, you know, he is the former OMB director. So all, all of these bills that get passed and every time the budget is finalized in the House, passed through the Senate before it goes to the president's desk, gets scored by the OMB. He put, he put out a tweet yesterday and uh, was kind of sh- trying to shine a little light on this. And he thinks... Mike Johnson should pass a full-year continuing resolution that triggers the current law across-the-board reductions that would cut non-defense spending by $73 billion or a 9% overall cut. Defense would not be cut because that's what triggers everybody on both sides of the aisle. Kevin McCarthy and the Democrats constructed a debt limit increase last year, which they were fundamentally trying to hide in spending, and they both agreed to while making it appear to the House Republicans that it was actually a historic deficit reduction. That's what Mike Johnson's handcuffed to now. As part of that debt deal, negotiators set spending caps for this year, but the non-defense cap was artificially low, $704 billion, making it look like a cut. It was accompanied by a handshake side deal of $69 billion that would backfill the agency accounts to keep the bureaucracy flush. This side deal, not in law, was secured in person by Kevin McCarthy to protect the cartel's interests of the businesses as usual. These caps were enforced by across-the-board cuts, sequesters, by any amount of spending, and it exceeds them. Because the NDD cap was set lower, the current law 
spending triggers a substantial cut automatically if the final spending bill of the year and the defense cap was set higher than the current law, so there is no cut. His preference, and I'm talking about Russ vote now here, former OMB in the Trump administration, would be to go much, much, much lower, but as the House is a slim majority now, one vote, and even prior to many of the spending cut amendments were failing. But in the same manic, unreasonable fear of a shutdown from House Republicans is also what would ensure a slim majority passes a full CR triggering a $73 billion in actual cuts and nearly $100 billion in less spending than Johnson is proposing now. So that that's one of the options right there. And it's not the... Downy soft Tom Massey, 1% across the board cut. It's a bigger one. And I don't know if this makes sense. I'm going to kind of have to digest this narrative a little bit. I'm going to have to talk to some of more of our representatives over the course of the weekend. I'm going to try and get someone from the Center for Renewing America in here on our Tuesday edition of the show, if not definitely by Friday, because we got to get to the bottom of this. And for as much of an expert, I'm not. I mean, I guess you could just yell and scream about it. Wasn't planning on throwing it in the show today. Heard it walking out the door. <laughs> Let's check in on the gang over at War Room. The country's in a crisis. Stop going home at 1045 in the morning with nothing done. I don't want to hear, oh, you know, you're going to come back. God, we don't have enough time. I need a CR. You need a CR? Where were your asses over the three weeks of Christmas? Anybody in this audience take three weeks off? You would love to take three weeks off, spend it with your family. Maybe at two weeks, you say, hey, should I go back to work? Kidding. You people are going to go down in history as nothing but a bunch of disgusting, wimp losers. In fact, you're not even going to be remembered by history. You're not even going to be remembered by history because you weren't in the fight in the moment you had to be in the fight. And we know the only reason you're scared now is because this audience, 202-225-312. You know who made her illustrious return to the war room yesterday? Who? Well, apparently former band congresswoman from Georgia, MTG. Oh. Selling her book and acting like a hard ass. What's her book called? I believe it's called MTG. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, okay. Yeah. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, hope you're enjoying it, and happy Friday. Very important. Follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast on whatever podcasting application you're listening to right now. Google, Spotify, Apple, and iHeartRadio is where we like to find ourselves. Hit the follow button. Hit the plus button. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Check us out on social media as well. Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow them and hit the notification bell. We're going to segue here a little bit. We've got Kingsley Wilson, the artist formerly known as Kingsley Cortez, jumping in with us to round out the First edition of two steak for breakfast you get now on Friday. But before that. And Tuesday. And Tuesday. I like it. <laughs> Imagine that. Long story short, again, four episodes a week. You're welcome. Yeah. Hunter Biden showed up on Capitol Hill yesterday. It's bite size. So they were doing dual committees, oversight in one room, House Judiciary in the other, and they were weighing the options to be able to bring to the floor next week a House resolution to hold Hunter Biden in contempt. Of congressional subpoena. I, I don't understand how the subpoenas are like, it just depends on how high level you are, whether or not you're allowed to just like disregard them. Like, well, I'll just have to see if I'm going to, you know, 
comply with the subpoena. Yeah, well, everybody... How is that a thing? Everybody wants to point out people like Dan Scavino and Mark Meadows who cooperated, but in turn did not show up for testimony because they claimed presidential immunity. Remember, Dan Scavino was like number three in the rung in, in uh, deputy assistance to President Trump, and then Mark Meadows was the chief of staff. They mm-hmm. they should have some kind of privilege there. Yeah. They did, behind the scenes, you know, cooperate in some context with the January 6th committee, but Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defied their subpoenas straight up, like, I'm not fucking talking to you. I want nothing to do with you. Come get me. Well, they came got both of them. Yeah, well, that's what I would expect to happen. But, I mean, if you're on the wrong team, that's what happens. If you're on the right team, then, well, yeah, but, like, you didn't show up, me. Yeah. Like former disgraced U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder, who after was being congressionally subpoenaed for wanting testimony in his role or knowledge in Fast and Furious, defied it, was found guilty in regards to being in contempt of Congress and sentenced to probation or some bullshit like three years after the fact. Sounds like Ray Epps. Good for him. Yeah. So yesterday... While they're getting these hearings kicked off and everybody's getting their five minutes grandstanding here and there, the Democrats are like, oh, yeah, let's talk about insurrections and let's talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene showing out blurred pictures of Hunter Biden's penis. Hunter Biden, one of his attorneys, and the documentarian who's chronicling all of this bust into the room, shuffle into the front row. Just imagine that. There's three seats front and center. No one's sitting in. And they just sit down and cross their legs and fold their hands and, and, and want to see what's going on. Just like that. Wait, who's this? Hunter Biden, his lawyer, and the person that's making the Hunter Biden documentary. Wow. Yeah. It's a bold move. Well, we'll see how it eventually works out for him, Cotton. Not only that, but it was also found that, you, this is probably right up your alley, know it, a DJI Ronin 4D camera, one of the ones used to make the Netflix movies mm-hmm. was set up by the secret service in the courtroom. I'm sorry, in the hearing room before Hunter Biden arrived an hour before. So they were filming it. Yeah. They knew it was coming thrown like right out of the Alejandro Mayorkas, Joe Biden, Lloyd Austin, you name it. Playbook. We did nothing wrong. I'm going to fucking say, do something about it. And guess what? You'll never have the votes to do anything about it. Yep. That's where they're all at right now. Yeah. Nancy Mace came around for her five minutes and I'm not going to get too into this because there was just a, it, it was okay. I'm going to put it out there. Nancy Mace, Marjorie Taylor Greene were fucking cringe. They're talking about white privilege and, you know, citing the man act for Hunter Biden trafficking prostitutes across state lines. Yeah. Yes. But let's just save for a hearing. Can you, it, it seemed like Republicans were taken aback by this. I'll let you guys be the judge. Let's hear it. All right. But Hunter Biden, you were too afraid to show up for a deposition. And you still can't today. Um, I believe that Hunter Biden should be held completely in contempt. I think he should be hauled off to jail right now because it wasn't long ago too, my friends on the other side of the aisle, um, that you also believed in the, the power of a congressional subpoena. Not long ago at all. You believed in holding those who refused to comply with congressional subpoena accountable. And I stood with each and every one of you. I am the only member in this room today who has held a member of my own party in contempt of Congress for not showing up for a subpoena. And I see nothing but complete hypocrisy on the other side of the aisle. She told him he had no balls. Yeah. You know, MTG said he was triggered by strong, powerful. It was cringe. You know, I'm watching this. It was weird. I was kind of like doing something else. And then I looking out the corner of my eyes, I got this huge TV in my living room. And I, I look up and I keep seeing like Hunter Biden. But then they keep going back and you see Jamie Comer 
I'm not knocking him. I like him. I like some of the stuff he does. He makes this face. It's like a mixture between Dan Aykroyd as the judge in Nothing But Trouble <laughs> and Beldar Conehead, also played by Dan Aykroyd, when they try to like get in his teeth, and he's like, yeah, we shall enjoy it. You know what face I'm talking about? Yeah. And that's the kind of the Jamie Comer's sitting there like making this face, and I'm like, come on, man, rein this fucking hearing back in. They never did. And as soon as MTG started talking, Hunter Biden, his lawyer, and the guy making the Hunter Biden documentary got up and left. They were hit in the hallway by some reporters. They asked him a couple questions. They asked Hunter Biden, like, your dad had no connection whatsoever. It's already fact that we have you on audio saying, like, I put my dad on the phone and told these people, like, oh, you don't think Joe Biden's going to do anything about it? What if I told you if he was on the phone right now? Dad, say hi. And the guy's like, how do you? And you want to know Hunter Biden's answer was? He's like, you ever have a dad? And the reporter's like, yeah. He's like, you ever call him? And the reporter's like, mm-hmm. And Hunter Biden's like, there it is. And the reporter's like, what? Yeah, but I mean in context of the, and he was like, no, no, no. He's like, you ever just need to talk? Like, you ever talk to your dad? And the reporter was just like, excuse me? And it was just like, yeah, man. I don't. <laughs> it was like. <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. Somebody did take a pot shot out in the hallway at Hunter Biden. Let's hear it. Please, I'll answer your question if you be quiet and let me make a statement, okay? What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? Let me- <laughs> oh, what kind of crack? Is yeah. that what he said? Oh. <laughs> you know, the whole thing was a shit show. You know, and, and I got what Hunter Biden did. He went into the oversight where, you know, Jamie Comer is an older guy. Everyone that's on that committee from the Democrat side is either like a radical female or completely gay. And then you've got MTG. You've got Nancy Mace. You've got no muscle. Straight down the hall, you've got the House Judiciary going off. You've got big Tom Tiffany. He's an older guy, but he's from Wisconsin. He knows how to, you know, chop wood in winter. Byron Donalds, six foot two, 275, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. Ain't scared of Hunter Biden either. Matt Gates, And then you've got two-time NCAA wrestling champion Jim Jordan chairing it. Yeah. So if he would have got smart in that one... You would think somebody came over the the railing. <laughs> the railing? Yeah, <laughs> with a steel chair. As we're getting ready to wrap now and jump in with Kings and Cortez, I do have one more clip. It's the House Judiciary being a little bit sad that Hunter Biden didn't show up there. Here's Byron Donalds. This isn't about Hunter Biden's white privilege. It's about Hunter Biden's Democrat privilege. Mm. Because Donald Trump Jr. showed up for five congressional subpoenas. There was never this circus where he was subpoenaed by House Democrats and he showed up on the Senate side or showed up at the White House to answer in some fake, phony, lame press conference, not actually going to the House and doing what he was compelled by a subpoena to do. Donald Trump is going to jail for treason. And Mm. then he has the unmitigated gall to show up here when we know that we're going through actually the the legislation for contempt with by the way mr chairman we should actually get to the legislation of contempt mm. the speechifying is great but let's do our business members Ooh, speechifying um, he has the gall to come here show up and then when the democrats are saying hey he wants to speak he leaves this is a joke this is a farce the man has been subpoenaed by congress byron donalds gets it yeah matt gates got it i don't think jim jordan was having it either You know, there's been some developments. They broke yesterday out of oversight and judiciary and decided that they are going to head on out to the House floor next week and go for a full floor vote on whether or not Hunter Biden 
should be held in contempt. And just like clockwork, Noah, guess what happened today? What? Hunter Biden has now agreed to a closed-door depositions in his father's impeachment inquiry. Here's the statement. I'm reading it right now. This is from Abby David Lovell, counsel for Robert Hunter Biden. If you issue a new proper subpoena, now that there is a duly authorized impeachment inquiry, Mr. Biden will comply for a hearing or deposition. We will accept such subpoena on Mr. Biden's behalf. You get to pick what kind of subpoena you get? Mm. Hunter Biden's not having a good week either. You know, his, his shit was up in, uh, for his tax fraud. He, he is facing 17 years in prison for some of this stuff. And uh, he's got... He's going to have to sell some more art. Yeah. He's got two counts of filing false tax returns, one count of felony tax evasion. Those are both big time. And then four misdemeanor counts of failure to pay taxes and two other misdemeanor counts of failure to file his taxes in general. I, I think uh, 2016, 2017, he just pretended like he didn't have to pay him at all, never filed. Well, when you're on a, a bender. He pled not guilty to all the charges, and, and we're going to have to see how that shakes down. But I think when you look at the way the Lloyd Austin situation shook out, who's now monitoring the continuation of the preamble of World War III from a hospital bed, that was confirmed today. He's still in the hospital? We'll get to that in our next episode. In addition, the manic response from the Hunter Biden legal team and how much of a headache that creates for Joe Biden. You know, they asked Crane Jean-Pierre about it, and she just, like, laughed. She's like, "It's we're not doing this shit today. And, and What do, day do we do the shit? Ducey asked her, like, so Hunter Biden was up on Capitol Hill today. How much of a headache is that for the White House? And she just laughed, like, right in his face. And she's like, no. M- moving on. Mm. And then when you look at this other this other case that Hunter Biden has going on outside of Joe Biden impeachment inquiry, you have to think all Hunter Mayorkas, all the posturing he's doing, the Biden regime is doubling down. I'm starting to feel like Joe Biden probably isn't going anywhere. Um, if he does, it's going to have to be forcefully. And I don't know with how much dysfunction we're seeing in the Republican House right now if they have the fortitude to do that in a timely manner. I mean, we're going to the ballot box in less than ten months now. Yeah. And once this primary season starts on Monday, it's going to be a long 10 months. So. Yeah. Oof. But it's going to go by quick. We'll continue to cover it. I mean, obviously, this is all just developing right now. We'll probably see Hunter Biden up on Capitol Hill in the next couple of weeks. The government doesn't shut down. And as a last point there, remember, possible impeachment for Alejandro Mayorkas, any kind of oversight or investigation, and the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry all just get put on the back burner if the government gets shut down. So hopefully we get some border security in in addition to some budget cuts, but we need to keep these investigations ramped up and moving forward. You guys are getting ready to jump in with Kingsley Wilson right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Hi, this is Beardo over at Beard Vet Coffee. What's wrong with America today is that Americans are putting convenience over values. We need to start thinking about our dollar as a vote. We need to start using those dollars to support companies that believe in our values and aren't afraid to take a stand. That's us at Beard Vet Coffee. We're not another pretend conservative company that puts a pew-pew on the packaging to fake align with our principles. We don't identify as America first. We live America first. We're vet-founded, vet-focused, and obviously bearded. So, if you haven't had a cup of Beard Vet, buy a bag, help us continue to support veteran charities every month. And as we always say, stay awake, not woke. Use promo code STEAK for 10% off your order. 
All right, joining us next on the show today, one of two big Friday editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She does digital media at the Center for Renewing America. She also is the National Committee Woman for the Washington, D.C. Young Republicans. Always excited to be sitting down with the lovely Miss Kingsley Wilson. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. Happy to be with you guys. Happy Friday to you and uh, happy last weekend heading into the first primary or caucus of the election season. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be crazy next week. I'm excited for it. Trump victory is coming. <laughs> oh, it's going to be big. I do want to start off, though, in D.C. and up on Capitol Hill, Kingsley. You know, we all track this stuff, the growing pains and the massive dysfunction that we've seen in the House of Representatives, especially on the Republican side this session right now. You know, whether it's where we're at with the budget or how much we're not moving on the border to close it, I know you track this stuff probably just as much as us. What are you seeing and, and what do you think the play is here? Yeah, so obviously it's been pretty chaotic. Um, and I think Speaker Johnson, I want him to be successful as a speaker. I think, you know, ousting McCarthy was a fantastic move. We had to get rid of him. Gates was a hero for doing that. Um, but Johnson, unfortunately, has had a pretty rocky start here. And a lot of it is his own doing. Um, he's put forth this bill that he's negotiated with the Biden White House and with Chuck Schumer that just doesn't serve the American people. It doesn't cut woke and weaponized spending across these Biden agencies. And actually, what would have been more beneficial, more fiscally responsible, what would have been a year long CR, which is kind of crazy. You know, I hate continuing resolutions, but this is perhaps the one time in history that it would have been a better option than what Johnson negotiated. It would have been, you know, $100 billion in cuts compared to this deal that he's kind of ushered in with Schumer here. Um, so what we're seeing is Johnson, you know, being afraid of conflict. He's caving to the radical left, giving the Democrats everything they want. And if you want to fight the D.C. cartel, you can't be afraid of having a fight. You can't be afraid of, you know, perhaps a shutdown. I think a shutdown would be great. I'd love to see these agencies um, close. Obviously, Johnson doesn't want that. But, you know, all options need to be on the table because, as you point out, our border is wide open. We have an invasion, um, unlike which any our country has ever seen in its history. That has to be our number one spending priority. We can't just continue with these business as usual um, spending bills that the American people wind up paying for years down the road. We can't have our kids having to deal with this, you know, in 50 years and our grandkids having to deal with this um, when we've just really dug the country into a fiscal hole and there's really no way out. Our debt is soaring. It's not stopping. We've got to get this runaway spending under control. And it looks like Johnson is not really on the money here. He's not really aligned with the MAGA base and he needs to get aligned with us ASAP because the only way we're going to govern effectively is if we act like we have the majority. From what I'm seeing, from where I'm sitting, Johnson isn't acting like we're in charge, like we have a majority. And I think he needs to remember that. He needs that kick in the butt. Um, so I hope, you know, MAGA keeps calling him, keeps he's been complaining that people have been making fun of him on social media. So <laughs> yeah. keep making fun of him on social media. Um, these guys work for you. They don't work for the D.C. cartel interests. No, I think that's right. There, there's a difference between wanting to see Mike Johnson be successful and blindly supporting him. And I think that's kind of the narrative we try to lay out here on the show. Like and I say there's other programs who are just going to yell and scream the whole time and, and kind of browbeat these guys up. And then there's you know going to be people on social media who are going to say no matter. I, I mean, I see people like. Oh, had a great weekend, like talking with vets out in my district. And then like the first comment is like, shut the mother effing border down. You pizza. I was like, Whoa, you know, we, we have to be able to kind of, you know, navigate through that and find out what plausible solutions are still here. You know, I've talked to 
Corey Mills and Matt Gates over the course of the last 12 hours, they are both very optimistic that the bill was that they, you know, kind of softly agreed on last week and is not the one that we're going to see. I, I know over at the center, Russ Vote put out quite a long Twitter thread that talked about the benefits of a year-long CR. I looked at that. We broke it down on the show, actually, and talked about it in extent to the best of our abilities here. And then you see Ralph Norman come out today and put out a statement that whatever they agreed on last weekend, the Schumer, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, White House budget is not going to be the one that the House of Representatives passed. So I'm a little optimistic there. But then when you talk about border security, you know, when you see, and we're going to be talking about it in our next episode of the show, what's leaking from the James Langford, Senator Langford, Chuck Schumer, uh, Mitch McConnell negotiated out bill that the White House seems like they're loving. It just seems like kind of like the preseason to amnesty. How are you guys looking at this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we firmly oppose that here at the center. Um, as you said, this is, again, like the budget deal that Johnson has been proposing. Hopefully, again, it doesn't go through, as you've said. Um, but this is a win for Democrats. It's not a win for Republicans. And I'm really tired of seeing Republicans always being the ones who have to cave and to have to compromise and make, you know, sacrifices. Like, why can't the Democrats do that, especially when we have control of the House, which is a very strong, you know, we control the purse strings. There's a lot that we can be doing to combat what this Biden agency is doing at the border. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we have individuals who just, they're not in D.C. to fight the cartel, as I've said. And you know, I think you bring up a great point about Johnson, too, and wanting him to be successful and kind of navigating through all of the vitriol and hate that you see with just the online trolls and all of that stuff. I do think that Johnson is a good man. I think he is a strong conservative. I think he's a Christian. Um, I, I think he's a nice guy. But unfortunately, I think that his tendency just as a person is to be a little bit more of a people pleaser than a fighter. And, you know, that's okay. We can work with someone who's honest and a good person, but we just have to always remember that someone like Johnson is going to need a little bit more prodding than, you know, a firebrand like Gates would um, per se. So again, I hope to see conservatives continue to fight on these issues. The Hunter Biden um, vote is apparently coming up too. Scalise, you know, said that there's going to be a vote on that next week to yep. hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for defying subpoenas. Hunter Biden has come out today and said that he will actually sit for a deposition. I say, fine, let him sit, but we're still going to hold you in contempt. Sure. So there's a lot of a lot of issues, I think, coming up on the Hill um, next week. And as we continue into February, that conservatives have real opportunities to use as leverage points and as fighting points. Um, they just have to have the guts to do it. I also think that Speaker Johnson didn't think as many people were going to back him in this budget battle as, you know, he originally thought. He, he's like, well, am I only working with the Gates 8? Is it going to be as many as the 20? And then you see people like Ralph Norman and Bob Good and members of the Freedom Caucus come up and be like, hey, we're all here too. Like, we don't want this crap. So now that you see those numbers starting to go up, I think, you know, after talking to some of them yesterday and seeing some of the statements that come out today, I feel a little bit better because they said, dude, the guy is honest. Like he told us how he feels. And he also thought that nobody was listening. So now that they're all getting on the same page, they kind of, uh, you know, put a pin in it on the weekend and hopefully they get back next week after a really busy week up on the hill and get ready to work. Kingsley, I do want to talk with you about something else. You know, we could go around and pin as many medals and, and hand out as many bouquets to President Trump. As, as we possibly could, as he's getting ready to, I think, sweep the first five primaries and head right into Super Tuesday, wrapping up the nomination. However, you know, some of these people in the Frake primary, we've seen Ron DeSantis implode, fall like a wounded bird from the sky, or even a rock at, at the speed he's fell from. But I think it's like everyone getting reintroduced to Nikki Haley over the course of the last few weeks or months has probably scared the shit out of a lot of people in mainstream America. 
the fact that she wants to do everything from like doxing everyone that uses the computer to massive internet censorship. She's also the queen of taxes when she says she's not. And everybody knows there isn't a foreign war that she doesn't want to get her claws into. So when you're starting to see that everyone's understanding, even though Nikki Haley probably presented a lot of things or herself differently when she decided to run for president here, we all kind of know who she is. She's a girl, Dick Cheney, or a really creepy girl, Lindsey Graham. And, uh, you know, as we're getting ready to head into this primary season, for as much as Rupert Murdoch and the mainstream is trying to prop her up, I think she's in for a little bit of reckoning starting on Monday. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, whatever you think about Vivek, I think one of the best lines of this campaign primary was when he said she was Dick Cheney in heels. Also said <laughs> the same of DeSantis. Um, but I think that just, you know, got her to a T. The picture of Nikki Haley is probably what you get when you Google military industrial complex. I yeah. mean, this woman is just the walking embodiment of the war machine. And I think what's important to remember is that before President Trump, these people were really kind of the dominating group in the Republican Party. We had the Bushes, we had the Cheneys, we ha we were neocons, right, in many ways. And Trump really disrupted that. He ended the Bush dynasty, sent Jeb Bush packing. That guy got, you know, just totally embarrassed on the debate stage. So it's important to remember what Trump did and how we have to continue his legacy forward, even after his um, second term, right? This ilk, this neocon, forever war, Nikki Haley kind of person can't be allowed to remain in the Republican Party going forward. And as you point out, her domestic policies are terrible as well. She opposes anonymous Internet users, which is funny because so many of our founding fathers wrote under pseudonyms. Right. Um, and that that is truly an American right to be able to speak freely um, and to not have to, you know, dox yourself or post who you are. She tore down Confederate statues in South Carolina, historical statues. Um, and now we're, you know, seeing that all across the country, they're taking down statues of our founding fathers. And she, she did that early on. Right. So yep. she was kind of at the at the forefront of that. Um, she fell for the Bubba Wallace NASCAR noose hoax. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, her rhetoric on George Floyd was, I mean, just totally akin to the left. It was indistinguishable. Um, and she said just in the most recent debate that she did that she wants to raise the retirement age. Yep. And that's just crazy to me as a young person. Right. Because I look at that and I say, OK. So if my son happens to survive Nikki Haley's endless foreign wars, he's going to die in a soulless LED lit office building as a wage slave working for the man. That's just not the American dream. That's not our ethos. That's not what we're about. Um, being a cog in the corporate machine isn't the goal, I think, of every American. They have bigger dreams than that. And she always adopts this kind of language of the left, too, right? She uses this girl boss rhetoric. Yeah. She talks about how she's, you know, we it takes a woman. We need a woman. And. You should never, I think, as a candidate, adopt your opposition's frameworks, right? Always question their assumptions, always counter the things that they're placing on you and, and trying to make the norm. And she does a terrible job of that. So she is, again, regressive, blasts us back to the Bush era, Dick Cheney and heels. And I think that this primary has really exposed that. I think, you know, once she gets destroyed in these various primaries, um, the Iowa caucus in particular, I think the American people are going to put Nikki Haley in their rear view mirror. No, I certainly think so as well. Another manufactured talking point by the establishment that Donald Trump is just going to leave in the dust. Kingsley, we're going to be live linking everything in the show description today. The Center for Renewing America is great. We interact with so many people from over there, including yourself, uh, ones that have come and gone as well. In addition, the the D.C. Young Republicans Club link, uh, we want everybody to be able to get involved, whether it's nationally or if you're in the area. And then for anybody that wants to check you out on social media, where can they find you? 
Yeah, please check me out. I am Kingsley Wilson on Twitter. And as you've said, please follow DCYR and also follow the Center for Renewing America. We put out a lot of awesome content, especially with what's going on on the Hill, and it can be hard to keep track. So we try to be the signal. Well, we always get a lot of awesome content when you come on the show. That's why we invite you so much. She is doing digital media at the Center, and she is the National Committee Woman for the D.C. Young Republicans, Ms. Kinsley Wilson. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a fantastic weekend. So much, guys. You too. Guys, we're coming back with another all-new edition of Steak for Breakfast. So sit back, relax, and allow us to change the way you consume your news.